Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me. I'm Corinne. And I'm Rainy. Happy Tuesday. Happy Fun Day. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. How are you doing, Corinne? I'm good. I feel like I'm working a lot. I am excited that it's getting nicer out. I'm excited to continuously, I say this on Thursday, who knows when this comes out on Tuesday, keep dodging COVID, you know. You had to say that knock on something wooden right now. Everybody in the world has COVID right now. Like literally everybody in Toronto. Yeah. It's literally December all over again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just in time. Just in time for my birthday, as usual. Oh, I know. The last couple of years in a row. Real rough. It's okay. Yeah. Fine. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm just like continuing on, continuing on, just waiting until I can finally pull my bike out. Yeah. And stop taking TTC everywhere. And yeah. I was walking around Greek town and it was so nice out. I was like, yes. The sun feels nice. So I'm ready for the summer. I'm ready to do beer crawls with Society of Beer Drinking Ladies. Yep. I am ready to go to the island a thousand times. Yep. And I am ready to go on trips. Yeah. Same. Fucking same. Fucking same. How are you? I'm okay. Yes. I'm fine. I'm thriving. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not thriving. I'm not thriving. Um, I'm okay though. Thank you. Bit of a couple few uh, (laughs) change-ups. Yeah, the old uh, rainy Kern's life, but mm-hmm. it's it's okay. Everything, yeah. it's springtime, new beginnings. Everyone's feeling ready to go. It'll be great. Yeah, you'll be okay. This week we have actress, playwright, writer Andrea Scott. Yeah, she is wonderful. She was so funny to listen to. She has wonderful stories, and she just recently, I think, in this last week, won four different Merit Awards for Control Damage, which is a play that she has also turned into a podcast mm-hmm. and we talk about it on the podcast that's very meta of us to talk about the podcast on the podcast whoa <laughs> meta the metaverse so cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get going let's go well thanks so much for being with us andrea it's awesome to have you, Thank you. i like want to jump right in here my biggest question is because you worked on the 15th season of Murdoch Mysteries. Yes. How does it feel being in a writer's room where a show is like so clearly established already? Well, you know, the what's interesting about that is uh, the job I'd had right before, okay, no. So um, I was, um, the, the pandemic happened in 2020. Well, it's still right. happening, but it started in 2020. <laughs> and um, I was really quite relieved uh, because then it, I got a break. I had I was so tired because I had just opened a show in, in Halifax and everything, and I was going to be the playwright in residence at Tarragon Theater. Mm-hmm. So I was just like busy, 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 busy. And then the pandemic happened, and I was like, oh god, you know what? I need this break. I am so tired, and I need. I'm gonna. I was gonna be burnt out anyway. Um, but then by July, my agent was like, you're not gonna believe this, but I got you a job on the Porter. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> great, great. <laughs> like I was happy but also I'm so tired I really was hoping to have the summer off so I started working on the porter um which is the CBC BET show which is about black train porters in the 1920s and it was an all-black writer's room so it was amazing now the thing about working on a show like that is it was brand new it was a baby right um and so it's it's not the same as working on a show that's been around for 15 seasons so I had the amazing experience of working on the porter for four months 
where, you know, we're breaking story and we're coming up with new characters and plots and ideas. Yeah. Jumping from that to working on Murdoch Mystery season 15, well-oiled machine. Yeah. And I was like, I remember when I was being interviewed by Simon, Simon McNabb is one of the executive producers and writers. And I was like, well, what are the hours like? Because there was a night where we started at 1030 and ended at 11 at night. And I'm just wondering, I mean, are there a lot of nights like that? And he was like, God, no, Andrea. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's like, this show, this show has been doing it for a while. So it, it's, there's not a lot of surprises. He said, listen, we want you to start at 1030 and you're done at 430 and you do not work weekends. We Creamy. do not want you to work weekends. We will never expect that of you. Um, he's like, we, you know, we've been doing this for so long that you don't have to worry about trying new things because we've done it all. Like that's, yeah. and you know, that's a good thing and a bad thing in a way, because you know, when you're, right. you're brand new in the room and you're like, oh, have you ever thought about doing this kind of murder? And they're like, yes, season three, <laughs> episode 14. And you're like, oh, it's like working on the Simpsons. Totally. Um, <laughs> You know, they've thought of everything yeah. and it's great. It's great. It's great. Um, but I mean, truthfully though, uh, you know, I finished the Porter on, I think it was November 20th then had a bit of a Christmas break, got hired to develop a new television show for, I think it was ICTV and Sienna films, uh, then got hired to be, um, a professor at the university of Toronto teaching playwriting from January the 6th until April the 5th. So I was like, busy, 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 tired, tired, tired. And yeah. looking to the, the light at the end of the tunnel was April the 5th, April the 5th. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then I'll have a break. I'll have a break. I'll have a break. And then on March the, I think 10th, my agent was just like, Hey, you have an interview for, um, Murdoch mysteries. I was like, uh... <laughs> I mean, and he's like, you don't have to, you don't have to go. You don't have to go. You don't have to do it. And I was like, no, 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 I sh- I should go. I should go. I mean, I've only been on one TV show and it was the Porter. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'll go in. I'll, I'll go for the interview. And I told my friends and they were like, do you want it? And I was like, not really. No, yeah. no. I don't, I don't want to work on that show. I, I watched a couple of seasons a few years ago and it's just not my cup of tea. But right. It's pretty like go campy, in. right? Well, it's, it's now that I've, you know, worked on it now that I've watched all of it, I know that <laughs> it's comfort food, you know, yes. it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it is a procedural and it's historical mm-hmm. fiction. Mm-hmm. And so you have your standard characters and there's got your crime. Like, I mean, there's a, there's a formula. And I was yes. just like, yeah, I don't, I don't want that. And here's the thing. It's because I would say our generation is used to stuff that's on Amazon and Hulu and HBO and mm-hmm. edgy and raw and the wire. And, and, and that's as a writer, all I ever wanted to do, you know, yes, I wanted right. to, I wanted to do the edgy stuff. And mm. well, um, this was not that, this was not that, but I have a friend named Sean Raycraft who worked on the corner or worked on corner and also worked on, I think it was called afterlife, uh, before life. I can't remember the name of it now. Life right. after. Um, and, uh, he, he had said to me, he sat me down right before I really got into the TV world. And he was mm-hmm. like, listen, you know, I go to the Canadian film center and teach a class once a year, fly in from LA and do this. And all the students there, they just, they all want to write the next Breaking Bad. They all want to write the right. next Wire. They all want to write Mayor of Easttown. And he was like, but realistically, Andrea, realistically, you live in this country and you get hired on a television show, you're going to be doing a procedural. 
You're going to be yeah. doing a show about a hospital. You're going to do yeah. a law show. You're going to be a, sh- yeah. a show where girls love horses. Learn how to do that. Learn how <laughs> to do it well. And you will always have a job. You will always yeah. work. You know, and he's like, but nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to right. work for network television. Everyone wants to work for the streamers because they see the right. glory and they want to be a showrunner and, you know, they get to have right. a stamp on it. Totally. And I was like, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. And then here I am being presented with an opportunity to interview for Murdoch Mysteries, which has been on for at this point, 14 seasons. And I was like, yeah, I, don't, I don't really think I want to do that because I also had that mindset. Yeah. Right. Um, I want to do something edgy. Um, so I remember saying to my friend in the backyard, yeah, I'm going to bomb the interview. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to do well. And he was like, no, don't, don't, don't bomb the interview. Do, do really well in the interview. And then if they yeah. offer you the job, you can turn it down. I mean, it's right. a flex, totally. it's a flex, you know, you want me, you can't have me. And I was yeah. like, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Right. So on March the 17th. So yeah, a year ago, not too long ago, uh, I had my interview with Simon McNabb. And he was super chill and cool. And I kept throwing obstacle after obstacle. Like he was just like, so why, why do you think you would be a good fit for Murdoch Mysteries? And I was like, well, you know, I've, I have my specialty is as a playwright, I would say is historical fiction. I like, I like mm. to take real people and then create a story around them. And like, what would happen right. if this had happened? And, you know, um, I ended up not bombing the interview. I ended up not, I, 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 I remember in spite of myself doing really well, I was like, I was like, damn it, this is going really well. I, I think, don't, I think, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that any, someone that works in the arts or is like a performer would ever yeah. purposely bomb something. I don't think it's in our nature. I think we I don't would think say it. Either. And I think we would all just like, oh, but I want to do so good. I want to be I wanna, liked. I, still I want to be watched. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be liked. Right? I want, to be liked. I want yeah, them to think that I'm good percent. and then be like, nope, nope, nope. I don't, I don't want you. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit like, no, I don't want to go to that party, but I want to be invited to the party and I yes. want them to miss me. <laughs> exactly. It's like playing hard to get all the time, right? Like yes. the minute someone doesn't give me attention, I'm like, <laughs> why don't, why don't like you me? like me? What is it that I did? Is this, did I do something wrong? Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I, and yeah, you're right. Like I got into the interview with him and he's so charming and so interesting and really, and really laid back. And yeah. I found myself thinking, yeah, you know, I think I just did really well on that interview. <laughs> I remember after the, I was like, yep, yep. I think, I think I might've gotten that job. And so, so that was March 17th. And on March 31st, my agent was like, yep, they want you. Um, oh, wow. And I was like, great, 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 great. When do I start? hoping it was in May or June. He was like, they want you to start on April the 5th. So that was less than two weeks later. And I'm like, yeah, but they, but they know I'm teaching right now. Like I'm teaching university, I'm teaching playwriting. So I, I'm just not available. I'm not available. And he's like, I'll, I'll get back to them. He goes back and they're like, she can start whenever she wants. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. And I was like, yeah, of course, of course, of course, of course. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Also, uh, how long is the contract? And he was like, well, right now they're saying um, July. So you start in April, you'll be done in July. And I was like, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, 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 I can do that. I can do that, yeah. I can do that, I can do that. And so I started on April the 6th. I finished my last class on April the 5th, started um, in the room at 10.30 on Tuesday, April the 6th. Um, my, my role was story editor, as well as yeah. I was going to get half an episode. <laughs> um, so that was like, okay, great, great. I remember mm-hmm. my agent being like, you're going to make like, 
about fifty thousand dollars this year doing that. She's wow. like, that's not bad. That's not bad. That's and a nice like, short no, contract for bad. that money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because half an episode would be like twenty five thousand or something like that. Wow. And yeah, yeah, Crazy. and then and then your weekly rate as a story editor. So yep. I was like, not bad. I yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. Sweet. No problem. Um, and so the first day of cl- first day of class, first day of work, <laughs> I get introduced to all the writers, um, Paul and Noel and Christina, Callie Bacchus, Simon and Peter Mitchell eventually showed up. And then my uh, co-worker, Nisha Khan. Um, and so we got introduced and we found out that they were already breaking a couple of episodes already. Like they started two weeks before. So mm-hmm. it was like, great, great, great. And um, so Simon, you know, logs on and he says to us, so there's been a change in the schedule. Like, mm-hmm. And he was like, so you know what we were supposed to be done in July? Well, CBC wants 13 more episodes. So we're going to be writing 24 episodes. Oh my God. So our contract <laughs> is until February the 13th, 2022. Which is like almost like unheard of that like they're asking for more, more episodes now, you know? Like, yeah. it's just like, nobody does 24 episodes anymore. No. We were just talking about this. Yeah. No. And I just was like, I'm going to die. I cannot do like that. I can't, I, I could not envision 2022, February, yeah. 2020. I was like, oh no, no, no. That's going to be brutal. Um, and it was really hard. Like what was really hard is um, I, I understood final draft theoretically, mm. But I had not been handed two fully written scripts that had not been formatted yet and been told, okay, we need you to proofread this, make sure that the revisions get implemented, you know, put in a new header and uh, throw a cover page on it and then send it out to the networks and send it back to the writer. And I was like, uh, yeah. And he's like, yeah, we'll see you back in the room in a couple of hours. I was like, I think this is going to take me all day. I don't think I'm going to be able to do this in two hours. And I didn't because I had no idea what I was doing. Right. Um, I mean, of course it gets easier as you go. Like by now, maybe you can, you could have done it. Oh, Oh, like this. We got it. Yeah. 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 So that was, um, that was shocking. And I remember um, getting on the, like, I think I emailed Nisha and I was like, I'm struggling. Do you, do you know what you're doing here? Do you, do you understand how to put a cover page on a, like, I don't know what I, and she was just like, I don't know either. I can't believe they thought we could do this in two hours. Who are these people? Oh my God. I was like, well, at least we have each other. Yeah. At least we have each other and we can commiserate and figure it out. And right. that's kind of what happened is we were like back and forth. We would like, actually, after we would finish work, we would then get on a separate zoom and mm-hmm. try to figure out what we didn't know. Um, also wild that after like, obviously like like 15 seasons, you think that they would be like, here's a a proof of how to do this um, and like, send you like, kind of like a, like, here's your eventually rubric. Eventually. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was sent to me eventually, you know, I got like a step-by-step here's what you have to do, but I still missed things and I still forgot stuff. Um, and people forgot to tell me things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was sending up all this stuff to the wrong people. Um, <laughs> like I would get an email from somebody in accounting and they'd be like, I'm, uh, why are you sending me a script? <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I'm, um, like, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do I not claim this on my 2020 taxes? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't what I'm doing. I'm new. I'm, it's my first day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they were, they were pretty, 
I had some like really wonderful understanding people who were like, we know you don't understand everything. You will get it eventually. The production manager, Jeremy Hood, is a sweet, sweet angel who I remember he called me and he was like, Andrea, Andrea, (laughs) you're doing too much. You're doing too much. Don't worry. Don't worry. This isn't brain surgery. You will get it. Mm. we'll get it it will be okay and I was like thank you because yeah there was there was some there was some moments where I I felt like I I don't think I can do this maybe I'm gonna maybe I can get out of this contract a little earlier because I was struggling right um because yeah it's 24 episodes so like at any given time I was not only was I in the room and taking notes like I'm the person who like every other week we would switch me and Nisha but you know you had to take all the notes of what was being said about stories and breaking yep. character and um and then you would have to go through those notes which sometimes would be seven or eight pages and then you'd have to make sure that they make sense clean yeah. up all the typos put in headers make sure it's got an index it you know hyperlinks and then you would have to pdf that and then you would have to upload it to dropbox and you have to send it to the writers and you'd have to send it to right. the showrunner and so yeah i finished at 4 30 but then i still had all this other stuff i had to do yeah and that was just a lot it was a That's lot like you not were- including your own personal yeah. projects. projects oh yeah no those <laughs> things fell by the wayside i don't know how i was able to do anything well i mean truthfully i was working on another project which it became, it became a problem. Like, I, I mean, I made sure that they knew this. I was like, Hey, so I just got hired on Murdoch mysteries and it is a full-time job. So I know I'm developing this television show with you. Like we're in development, but this has to take priority because this is my job mm-hmm. and things got, things got hairy. And, uh, eventually I quit. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had to, I had to. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, Murdoch ended up being much better. Like I started to get better. I started to understand what I was doing mm-hmm. um, at any given point. I was working on two scripts at a time. And, uh, also when you're in the room and you're, you're story editor and you're like taking notes, they're also expecting you to pitch in the room. Right. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, you could sit there very quietly, just taking notes and smiling and nodding at the jokes, but they also want you to pitch. They want your input right yeah so um thankfully I'm not shy and I'm a former actor and uh I have 15 plays so my (laughs) brain is always like ping 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 I have so many ideas that yeah I would just be like well what about this well what about this Ooh, I have an idea what about maps what about what what if somebody gets killed in a in a hedge maze what about and you know it it really served me well quite frankly, it served me quite well that I I wasn't easily intimidated. Um, Mm -hmm. But the the writers were also real sweet and lovely. So they never made me feel bad. Um, And no, you know, you, I did a lot of research before I ever got a chance to be in a room and you'd hear about every showrunner is different. Sometimes they want you to speak. Sometimes they want you to shut up. Sometimes they want you to have all, yeah. Or the horror stories about being in a writer's room, right? Just like, it's just, you're the only woman. You're the only person of color. You don't get a voice. Nobody cares about what you say. Yep. Right. You yep. know, we are working till 1130 every single night. Like yeah. Yeah. all of those, yeah. those kind of things. It's all those things yeah. that I've heard of and, and worried about that. And like, should I speak up and, you know, do they think my idea is stupid? But then I realized that it's the best, the best idea wins, you know? And then we, as a team work on making it a, a show, making it an episode. That was a revelation as well you know you hear about Mm. breaking episode but you know we are all kind of collectively writing it 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're doing the beat sheet and then there's the, then there's the outline and then the writer gets to go away and write it. And then when you come back with the, ep- with the episode, everyone gets to give notes. So, mm-hmm. you know, you go through it bit by bit and you're like, well, I don't know if that line works on page four and maybe you want to change that. And also learning that your stuff is going to be rewritten is another thing I think well, a lot like of writers different don't different know. Air, like, different like different in the editing it. room, right? Like, absolutely you have no idea you have no idea and it's better not to become too wedded Mm. to to your words like it's not personal if something gets cut it's not personal if they say that line doesn't work um you know you learn to pick your battles you learn to pick your battles and so that ended up being something that I learned really early and I was totally fine with it I don't I don't think there was ever any kind of tension with me and anybody else regarding Mm. stories or me pitching or anybody else and their stories and I do know that because I am I am a published writer and I am somebody who's um had several plays produced across the country that I am a confident in person with my words and what I, what I've written. Like I don't write something unless I'm committed to it. And so Mm. when someone in the room would say, I don't think that that character should be there, or I think that line should be cut. Um, And sometimes they'd be, they'd say something like, well, taster's choice. I think that that, that line should be cut. (laughs) And I'd be like, no, it stays. (laughs) And I would not, I would not discuss it. I would not explain why it needed to stay, but for the most part, though, if they were like, I don't know if that works, I'd be like, okay, it's gone. I can cut right. it. But if right. they were like, you, we think sh- this should be, you should erase this or you should change it. I'd be like, no, it's there for a reason. Like mm-hmm. the, one of the things that I posted on Twitter recently was one of the, my biggest influences as a writer is David Milch, mm-hmm. who wrote Deadwood. And I, I always remember a story about how he had done something where there was a line that was very obscure. Somebody said something really obscure and an associate was like, no one's going to get that. And he's like, someone will get it. Yeah. Somebody will get it. Mm-hmm. It's for them. It's for that, that one person out there who's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, right. You know, I write like that. Like I write like right. that. And I have had, I've had that happen where it was like, yeah, but people aren't going to understand that line about Cooter Brown. I was drunk as Cooter Brown is something that's in my last script for Murdoch. And people are like, no one's going to understand what that means. And it's like, somebody's going to understand what that means. Somebody's yeah, going to understand. And, and you know what? You, you get the idea that Cooter Brown, it just means somebody who gets really, really drunk. Yeah. Okay, drunk is Brown. You know, you're going to, you're going to understand a tenor. And maybe, the tenor and maybe if not every audience member gets that name, they're going to like put their own person that they know gets drunk all the time in that name. Like we all know that person. We all know that person. Yeah. Everybody knows a Cooter. Duh. Everybody knows Cooter Brown. Everybody knows a Cooter. Know a Cooter Brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the name itself just speaks for it you know it speaks for yes. and, and I just like the way the word sounds coming out of that man's mouth so I was like yes yeah, we yeah. are gonna keep that and <laughs> we kept it and actually somebody actually quoted it back to me last night because my episode aired last night oh um, thank you thank you it was uh it was a huge episode because here's another thing that happened is it was supposed to be about lead belly comes to toronto and gets wrapped up in a murder uh they think he killed somebody and i was like oh okay so okay so my playwright brain started to whir i was like all right so let's let's see it's gonna be like he's traveling to toronto after hours and it's like the underworld so he's gonna meet all the different people who he met but he doesn't remember because he was blackout drunk and he's with bracken reed and and i have this thing about light and dark and good and evil and I remember Simon being like, okay, just don't tell Peter. Don't tell Peter Mitchell that. Just, just, 
You can have your whole thematic ideas about good and evil and the underworld and Cersei, but just keep it to you. <laughs> right. I I wonder about like how like those rooms are in terms of like those like we just briefly briefly touched on like politics and dynamics between writers and because everybody's coming from such a different background and maybe it's different on the show especially because people have been there forever yeah like I imagine there's definitely someone who's been there since like season one yep that's like the old dog who like is like (laughs) we did this like laid back with their coffee like this we already did that or like (laughs) and then there's someone who's like fresh and bright-eyed and like hungry and then there's someone who comes in and it's just like confident someone that's not confident like how are social dynamics and politics like how important are those in writer's room to creating like a good balanced script well I mean with me I I have to say that because I'm a relatively very easygoing person I'm not high strung um and because I used to be an actor I know how to be a chameleon I know how to walk yes. into a room where yep, there yep, are yep. multiple different kinds of personalities because you know yep. if you're if you've ever been in a play, you know you've got you've got your divas, you've got the people who are <laughs> going to lay back, you got the people who are going to study their script like it is the Bible. You have your director, you have your yeah. stage manager, and so you as a if you're a good if you're a good actor and you're a generous actor, then you you learn how to adjust how you are with different people. Right. So I am very good with just kind of reading the room mm. and in and and in the Murdoch room there was uh yes there was Paul Aitken who has been with Murdoch since season one mm-hmm. and uh he could be a bit of a curmudgeon but I have to say I just I just loved him he was like kind of my favorite person in the room <laughs> because his the way his brain worked um he really did do that thing that you were just put, like he like kicks back and he's just like thinking and when he complained bitterly about having to be on zoom he hated it because of when course. he was in a writer's room right. he's yeah. so used to just you know going into a big room and there was a sofa he liked to lie down and come up with his ideas <laughs> and yeah. you know wander to the snack table like that's the you know when you're on zoom it's uh, just this yeah yeah seven right. hours yeah you guys on Zoom the whole day, no matter what, and you just like work. Yeah, no breaks. Oh yeah, we would. So we would start at ten thirty, and then we would break at twelve ish. Okay, here's the thing. Um, so sometimes Simon would go into the studio, Sullivan Studios, which were in Scarborough, and and here's something that was a a treat for me is the first time I went into the studios just to work because I wanted to not be at home. I wanted to be able to go in, mm-hmm. and I was sitting at my desk and I'm working and somebody came up to me and they're like it was I think the production assistant and they're like hey so um what did you order for lunch and I'm like oh I brought my lunch and he was like oh, oh no no what did you order for lunch though and I'm like I didn't order lunch I brought my lunch and he was like we provide lunch I'm like no you don't he's like yeah we do and I was like no you don't he's like yeah, you didn't get the email? And I'm like, no. And he's like, oh, you're not on the list yet. Okay, I'm going to send you the link. There's a link that's going to take you to like a bunch of restaurants that we we get our lunches from. You just pick something. Your limit is $17.50 and uh, we pay for it. And I'm like, every day? <laughs> he's like, yeah, that's that's what we do. Yeah. And I was like, ah. And so at about 12 to 1230, you're sitting at your desk and you're working. And then on a loudspeaker, it'll be like, um, letting you know that Burrito Boys has just arrived. If you ordered Burrito Boys, it's now waiting at the table. Anybody <laughs> who ordered from Burrito Boys, your lunch is here. So I would find that our lunches would 
make sure that we had a break. Yes. Right. Some, some places, you know, you've heard where they're like, they don't even give you a break because they just work and work and work. Yeah. Well, and Murder at Mysteries, or you, you know, we, yeah, you start at 10.30 and then you're working and then suddenly you hear on the loudspeaker, um, wherever, where Simon is, um, <laughs> your lunch is ready, come get it. And he'd be like, okay, guys, so uh, it's 12.15 now, uh, back at 1.15, 1.30? And he'd be right. like, okay. So we'd all log off, right. have our lunch, come back. And then we would take a, a 15 minute break at three. And then we would finish that at 3.15. Then we'd come back from 3.15 and work until 4.30. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Like super civilized, very, very civilized. And and obviously there are times where you're like, you're you're trying to focus and then you could be like, guys, I'm fading. Can can we just take, can we take a quick tan? I need to get a cup of tea. Like I just need to get up and walk around and stretch and everybody be like, yes, 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 yes. And then we would all log off and come back 10 minutes later. Right, perfect. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I have, I kind of want to like go back to something that you said about working on a procedural. Yeah. And what I think, when I think about a show like Murdoch Mysteries, a procedural Mm -hmm. who's so well established, and I wonder like how much creative freedom you have in a room like that. Or do you feel limited by the fact that it's so well established? Um, Well, I mean, here's what was interesting about the experience for me is I pitched quite a few ideas that then ended up becoming shows. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, was quite validating for me as an idea machine is that they were like, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <laughs> I remember there were so many ideas that I came up with that they liked and they'd be like, okay, so the, the idea about the cartoonist who gets murdered, um, I know you <laughs> came up with it, Andrea, but we're giving that to Kelly. And I'd be like, okay, that's fine. And mm-hmm. the idea you came up with the uh, Korean nationalist uh, who they think might have been part of the assassination of the Japanese prime minister and the Japanese uh, guy who gets killed in the crawl space. I know you came up with that idea, but it's going to this person <laughs> and it kept happening. And I was like, okay, I was, it's fine. I mean, I have, I have a lot of ideas. I, I'm fine with that. And then eventually they're like, you're going to write about lead belly. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I mean, I, I can do that, but I mean, what about my map idea? I have this really great idea about maps. And they were like, no, 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 no. You're going to do the lead belly episode. And I was like, okay, all right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, you know, got used to the idea that I was going to be writing an episode about uh, a musician uh, coming into town. And oh well, and then I decided to give it my own little twist. You know, the fact that I am the theater person, I was like, I'm, oh, we're going to, we're going to have Hermes and we're going to have, um, we're going to have Cerberus and it's going to be the underworld and it's going to be out life and death. And um, <laughs> so I found my own way to have fun with it. Um, right, right. And then I got an email. I got an email from uh, Simon being like, uh, we're going to have to change the outline a bit. I hope you're okay with that. And I was like, oh no. And he was like, no, 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 no. Don't worry. It'll be good. And it was that Ellen Joy, who plays Julia Ogden, mm-hmm. um, her due date was changed. So we would have to write in Julia has her baby in this episode. And at first I wasn't happy about it. And then my friend was like, are you crazy? <laughs> so many people who love this show have been waiting for Murdoch and Julia to have a baby. You're going to be writing about the new generation of Murdoch mysteries. Andrea, mm. this is huge. And let me tell you, it was huge. You should see <laughs> my retweets. People are in love with the episode. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I find that so funny. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, I also love that she was actually pregnant in real life and pregnant in the show. That's like a wonderful way to use that. It it really was because yeah. you know most shows they they, they hide they do it though. they hide it with a, a like a book constantly <laughs> no, reading a book. At all, holding the book like <laughs> the biggest bag in the world like bags aren't even those bags aren't even in style anymore and they're like I have a massive tote bag <laughs> you know? I'm gonna shoot you from behind this desk yeah it was it's it it worked out quite beautifully and um, I think Ellen loved it and uh, it has definitely done wonders for the show. This has made people very happy. Hmm. I guess it just has like so many long, long-term fans. They, they are, they are rabid. They yeah. are rabid. Like it was so interesting. It's like a Canadian at- Doctor Who almost. It is, it is. It is. Because people yeah. have been watching it from the beginning and they've been watching, yeah. you know, when Julia and Murdoch first met and, you know, it wasn't love at first sight. And, and then when they started dating and then he finds out that she had an abortion and he's a diehard Catholic. So he's like, well, I can never marry you. And then, oh my goodness, the ups and downs. <laughs> she, she ends up getting pregnant, but then has a miscarriage and it's absolutely devastating. It cry right. and it happens. And then for this to happen in season 15 has um, made a lot of fans happy. Yeah, I love that. Oh, did the the way that the work because sometimes like as writers or you know everyone has creates their own rhythms and formulas like maybe you weren't the person that wanted to wake up start work at 9 30 or 10 30 and maybe you were more of a night writer how night rider night writer just a dual <laughs> superhero what a great, that rides what on a great motorcycle, pitch. but also writes <laughs> Um, how did you, how was it for you to adapt to such a set schedule like that? Uh, well, you know, one of the things that they, well, I, I'm, I'm, um, somebody who loves working out. So I go to the gym really early. So it ended up really working out quite well for me. Like my schedule had already been wake up super early, like six 30, go to the gym for seven 30, work out until eight 30, get home by about nine 30, have a coffee, take a shower. And then I probably would have just like put it around and done whatever, but now right. I actually have something to do. Now I actually have to start logging in at this time and seeing these people. Right. So it, it worked out well for me, but that's not for everybody. Like there were times where like Paul has sleep problems. So sometimes he just wouldn't be there until noon because he couldn't sleep. So he, yeah. he and he, apparently his brain is constantly like worrying with about stories and how to figure out a plot point. So sometimes he'd be up until four or five o'clock in the morning and then yep. he'd be like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I just can't. So I'll be joining you at one. Right. right. And, they, and they'd be fine with that. Because I'm sure the work that he's doing when he's not logged on, maybe at that time is just as valuable as the work that's being done in the morning with all of you, you know, like it just because yeah. someone might, this is when their creative spree hits doesn't mean that oh, they're yeah. not valuable to a team, you know? Yeah. 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 And people so, need to be understanding of that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause we were just talking about this idea of like the nine to five and like how, you know, it's like people always preach like, oh, as an artist, you have this freedom not to work nine to five. You can work whenever you want. But then you like are in the life and you're just like, I don't know, like, what's like a nine to five life to just <laughs> work that and leave work and be done, yeah. you yeah. know? And have space yeah. and time around, quote unquote, like a normal schedule to like have friends and relationships and hobbies. And like, when I try to like engage in a new hobby and I can't take it in the middle of the day because- 
I serve at night. I'm like, oh, well, mm. I guess I don't get to have a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> I get, get yeah. To take a class, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because the thing that you think you don't want and then you do get it and you're like, oh, I hate this. Then it's gone. And then you're like, you know, there was something to having strict boundaries yes, of when yeah. I work instead of you can work whenever you want. Yeah, I could. And then sometimes I? I'm a little unfocused <laughs> that way. I can be kind of unfocused. Work. Or it creates like crazy working habits where you like, like me, don't do anything for like two hours. And then for 30 minutes, your brain's in like overdrive trying to figure something out, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it does it again. And I, it, it's, we were just talking actually about this with, um, with somebody about like how, what did they call it? Um, Ansley current about like, called? there's a specific, oh, um, a, this, there's a difference between creative flow and hyper-focus. Right. And one works and like, and they were describing this, like hyper-focus is like, where you don't notice that you didn't go to the bathroom. You don't notice that you didn't drink water. You don't notice that you didn't eat. And then you have to recover from that for a day because you just like wrecked mm-hmm. your body by not taking care of it. Yeah. Whereas like being in not a creative flow, what did, I think they called it, um, anyway, flow state. Thank you. Mm. Where they were like, but a flow state to me looks like I can work for 15 minutes. I can get up and move my body, get some water, come back into the thing, work on another thing. And I feel fulfilled and good after a day of work like that, rather than exhausted and burnt out and blah, 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 blah. Still balancing that. I'm still balancing that. I think it's a constant battle. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it is. It is. It is. And like, it's small bites. It's yes. small bites, which is, I think, the best way to try to get your project done. Because I know that I will be like, oh, my God, I'm never going to get this done. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, OK, hold on, hold on, hold on. Your script needs to be 40 pages and you've written 15. So take a day and write a couple of pages. And then the next day, maybe you'll write four more pages. And like, just mm. stop putting so much pressure on yourself. Unless somebody else is standing over you and saying you must have this to us by this day. Be easier on yourself. I'm the worst. Yeah. At that. Also, it's not final product. It goes into a room and then gets, I mean, you want to put your best work forward, of course, but it's not final product. There is a room of like highly educated, highly skilled people who are going to help you make it the best it can be. Yeah. yeah yes. You always have to remember that, that this isn't, yeah. the, this isn't the end. Um, yeah. I've, I've had to teach students that, that um, you may think that this is your perfect, beautiful little angel that you just created, but it's then also going to go to the room and then it's going to have the writers, the other writers. It may also have um, the director is going to look at it and have thoughts. Yep. The actors are going to give you notes sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it's a process. Totally. Wow. And it's also a process um, that takes, sorry, Rainy. Go ahead. It's no, also ahead. a process, process that I like to remind people that takes time and sometimes years. And so don't yeah. get upset when it doesn't get like made immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Maybe it shouldn't have been made immediately. Yes, because then it probably wouldn't have been great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because we're on a podcast, I think it's like so fitting to talk about your new CBC podcast, Controlled Damage. Oh, yeah. (laughs) How has that been? I'm working on. (laughs) You're like, which project is this? (laughs) Well, you were like, broad, your podcast, what are you talking about? Oh, right. Oh, other thing I did. Oh, For a brief second, I was like, did I read the wrong? No, no, no you're right. Pocket? No, okay. you are absolutely right. Um, <laughs> that is so funny. Uh, um, yeah, what, what a wonderful turn for me because the play 
control damage, which is about Viola Desmond. Um, you know, I spent many years working on that and uh, I had zero interest from theater companies to produce it. And uh, I started like coming up with my own ideas of how much money I would have to raise in order to produce the play. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I absolutely believed in the project. And then eventually it was quite fortuitous, uh, a theater company in Halifax, the one that I really wanted, the Neptune, they decided that they loved the play and they wanted to produce it. And uh, it's a big play. It has 10 actors playing 23 characters. Wow. So um, I knew that that was a, a a lot of theater companies just can't, yeah. just can't do can't that. Afford it. They, can't, they can't afford right. it. They can't afford it. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but I, I was told by the um, dramaturg at the Stratford Festival, uh, Bob White, he was like, if the play is good enough, somebody will want it. They won't, they won't say, oh, they're too many actors or it's too long. He was like, somebody will say they want it. And Neptune wanted mm -hmm. it. And I'm extremely lucky because they produced it and it sold out its three week run before it even opened. Wow. And it closed on February the 24th, 2020. And then Ooh. two weeks later, the world shut down. Snuck it oh in. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking, well, is anyone ever going to produce this play ever again? And mm -hmm. the Grand Theater in London, Ontario said, we would like to produce it in 2022 in mm -hmm. February. And I was like, awesome. And then Omicron happened. And they said yep. we can't do it and then I think within days of finding out that the show was not going to happen in London expect theater and CBC approached me and said we would like to turn it into a podcast <laughs> it was like hallelujah hallelujah to podcasts because there's no other way anyone would be able to hear see learn anything about this play if you know they didn't know, already know about it so now it's been available in all these households that otherwise probably would never have heard of it or <laughs> seen anything to do with the play. So I am profoundly grateful that, well, first of all, that podcast exists. I love podcasts <laughs> and that my play is a podcast. I mean, it's just, yeah. such, it's pretty incredible. It is, it is. How much work did you have to put in to adapt it for the new, the new form? Well, one of the things that I found I had to do is like, I had to go through it like with a fine tooth comb and uh, create sound instead of sight because there oh, were yeah. things that are that are visual. Like one of, the, one of the moments that happens is Viola comes home. She has this brilliant idea. Her husband's in like a romantic mood. So he starts, he starts humming a song and then he starts to sing and he pulls her into an embrace and then he's dancing with her and he's singing and he dips her and he tries to kiss her. And this is all something that is done Literally. on stage without yeah. there being any... And uh, I had to go through that. And I was like, I don't, this does not work on the radio. Like nobody knows what's going right. on. Do we have to cut right. this? But what I wanted to have conveyed is she's all business. She's thinking about her, you know, expanding her salon and, and the things that she can do for research mm -hmm. and development. And her husband's just thinking, I want to have sex. Right. So how, do you, <laughs> how do you do that without him saying, let's get in the bedroom. Let's get it <laughs> So that was one of those things where I was like, I had to really fine tune that and have him humming. And I, I can't remember how we fixed it, but we did it in such a way that, you know, that they're dancing and he dips her. And then she was just like, I'm tired. And then you, apparently I think Chris, Chris Tolley, he did something where it sounds like you hear her kick off her shoes and then fall back onto a sofa. So you hear the, mm. yeah. And then he's like, oh, okay. So what's for dinner? <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so I had to go through and just create 
almost like a soundscape, right. um, and, and which was also helped by um, by Chris. Um, so he knew how to kind of sweeten it a little so that you right. could he- almost hear what was happening. Um, because there, there's a lot that happens in the play that it's visual that you absolutely have right. to see. Um, also the play on stage has a lot of music. Um, I, I, I wrote it so that it has a lot of spirituals and hymns in it because mm-hmm. I wanted people to always remember that even under those really horrible circumstances of racism in the 1940s, people were still joyful and still singing and still enjoying their life. Um, but one of the things you learn when you decide that you're going to start changing platforms is rights and you, we couldn't yes. get them. Yeah. Yes. So we ended up having to like cut all that music and, um, and then having to use some rights free stuff just to zhuzh it up a bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, one of, one of the things that I had said to somebody when they were like, what do you want people to take away when they see the play is I said, I really want people to bounce out of the theater and realize that, we, you know, black people still had joy in spite mm-hmm. of the things that were happening. And I want them humming the songs as they leave. And um, I will say that, you know, having the opportunity to go to Halifax and see the play a couple of times, that's exactly what did happen. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure that's what happened, unfortunately, with the podcast, but um, mm. it opens it opens a, a story up to show that Viola Desmond was also just a woman, just a regular woman who was caught in an extraordinary situation and she handled it in the best way that she could. And that well, now she's being positioned as an activist. She really was just a woman who wanted to go to a movie and just refused to have her humanity uh, minimized and erased. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone would have done the same thing is what I say. But some people are like, well, no. Like I have a lovely friend who's 82, who um, she's, she's, not, she's not black, she's Jewish. And she has said, I'll be honest, if I were in that situation, I probably would have just gone to the balcony. She's like, really? I, she's like, yeah, she was like, I don't, she's like, I know myself and I don't have it in me to fight back. I would, mm. I would just do it. I would just don't want to, I don't want to be a bother. And I'm like, interesting. Interesting. I, I have moments like that where sometimes you just don't like why you don't want to be, it's, you don't want to have the same conversation over and over and over again, because it's exhausting, exhausting and emotionally taxing on you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just want to exist in the world and be able to move around mm-hmm. freely yeah. without bother. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But that being said, sometimes it's like a bunch of things hit you at once and <laughs> you have a reaction. So who yes. knows, you know, of course. Yes. Like that's also <laughs> like, sometimes <laughs> I react to people who I like, I'm just like, I shouldn't have reacted that way. What happened? I was like, oh, it started because at like nine o'clock, my alarm didn't go up. And then at 10 o'clock, yeah. this person was yelling at me about this. And then at 11 o'clock, like my <laughs> boyfriend forgot to fucking change the laundry again. Like it's, it, it's like a multiple <laughs> multitude of things that happen yeah. that put you in that state of mind. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, exactly. Like yes. it's, it's one of those things where they say, you know, just assume the person has had a worse day than you. Yes, you don't yeah. know what happened the moment before. You don't know what happened before they totally. walked into that store. Not that I'm defending Karens who freak out on baristas. I absolutely am not. But I'm, no, I'm talking no, about, no. Um, you know, when you lose your shit on somebody, yeah. um, generally that does not. Ha- I mean, I that's never happened with me. I don't have yeah. much of a temper at all actually so um I and I mainly because I know how to talk my way out of things and I know how to use my language to right. take a person down as opposed to freaking the fuck out that's just not me mm, um, right I I have been I have been praised by producers who have been on zooms with me with 
challenging writers and they're like, you handled that beautifully. You know, you've, you're very good at um, massaging the moment as opposed yeah. to <laughs> reacting. And I mean, but I mean, I, I wouldn't blame some people for lashing out when they get frustrated by a person that they have to work with, which is yeah. what happened with me. And um, what happened with me when I had a, a situation where I, with a co-writer was I just found this individual would constantly cut me off and minimize what I was doing. And I, I use body language, which probably was not, I don't know. I mean, when I look back on it, I don't regret it. I quit the project. So, but there was a moment where I just, <laughs> the individual gave an answer about a plot point that I absolutely didn't agree with. And I had already said that I didn't agree with. And he right. said, yeah, but um, this is, this is what we decided. Um, there's, he's saying this to the producers and he was just like, right, Andrea. And I, I literally oh, he like gaslit you. Basically. Yeah, and I, and I, did, yeah. I just basically did this and I was like, no, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm also surprised, not surprised that it was a man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did we all kind of know? Immediately? Yeah. 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 yeah 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 and then a couple of days later the producers called me at home and they were like hey so we picked up on a little tension yeah. <laughs> is everything okay and I was like no things are not okay things yeah. are really really not okay and um but nice that those producers I mean like came in and were like recognizing it oh yeah sometimes producers are just like Ooh, not my monkeys not my circus not my monkeys not my circus you yeah. know like in that sense so like it's it's nice that people like are able to like take onus for projects that they're producing, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's something that I, yeah. I talk about with other people and I say, listen, I, it wasn't a great experience, but the producers yeah. were really trying to take care of me in a way that I don't think totally. is normal. I don't think that always happens. I don't think that they call you at home and they're like, listen, I feel for you. Yeah. Just, right. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, they have a boss too. And so they, they you know, they want to keep this train on the track. They, they course, don't yeah. want things to go sideways and they want it to work as well as possible. But one of the things that as I've gotten older is to understand that we all have boundaries and we all have our limitations and we all know what we can work with. And if it's, if it's going to be challenging now and it's only development, it's going to get worse once you have a room, once you have deadlines, once you have budgets and, mm -hmm. um, I don't, I, I don't want my blood pressure to go up. I, you know, I have a heart condition, so I should just be very smart about that. So, um, <laughs> you know, you pick your battles, you pick your battles, but I can understand a lot of people who would be like, no, I can handle this. I can handle this because they know that if this thing gets picked up, the money is going to be ridiculous. Mm. Right. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. do you like, you I mean, you just said, I mean, maybe you already answered this, but like, <laughs> how do you balance those opposing thoughts in your brain? Sometimes if this gets picked up, if it's great, the money's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. this project is not good for my mental health this is draining um the fact that I was like spending so much time complaining about it to my friends when I barely mm -hmm. saw them like when they would come over and I'd be like oh my goodness so and so just did the worst thing again and I felt like this was happening too often yeah it was taking up so much time in my brain mm -hmm. um and yeah yeah I remember looking at the contract that 
said that, you know, if the show gets picked up for 13 episodes, I'm going to be making, I don't remember, like $275,000 or something. And I was like, holy shit, I can't even imagine. Like I, I was borrowing money from my mom in 2019 to pay my rent. So the idea that I would be making yeah. that much money, you know, it's like, are you stupid? Why would you, why would you jeopardize that? Just talk it up and put up. It. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But um, what I started to realize at that point was the value that I bring to projects and that um, mm-hmm. I'm a good writer. Like if nothing else, I am a good writer and people like having me in a room. And if all I ever do is be a staff writer on multiple shows, that is fine with me. Mm. Um, there's, I know that a lot of people want to be showrunners. Like that is what they want. Yes. That's their super objective. But, you know, I did um, Anthony Farrell's uh, showrunner boot camp and it was an eye opener, you know, of, of what it is you are really doing like I think people hear showrunner and they they think boss and money and it's not just <laughs> like hey, no yeah, you get paid but you get paid because it's wild <laughs> oh yeah goodness the amount of things you have to put up with and personality babysitter babysitter yeah. and not only are you doing that kind of stuff where you're like mommy or daddy but you you're also having to think about the budget you're also talking to people about locations you are in meetings sometimes from 8 30 until five o'clock you barely get any time to do any of your own writing right. um you're trying to figure out you know you have a script in front of you that one of your junior writers completed and it's a mess and you're gonna have to go through and rewrite it which is gonna upset them when they see it um so there's all these things like you don't get a break you don't, mm-hmm. you don't get to just come in, do your bit and then leave. Right. So, you know, I, I definitely had a moment of not only I'm going to be, if I, if this show does get picked up, I'm, I'm not just going to be dealing with trying to get these scripts completed. I'm going to have to deal with this person who really is a problem. You know, they, they're very good on camera with the producers, but at the same time, they're kind of you know, they were one of those, I'm one of the good ones, but then behind scenes with you, you could feel that they had anger problems and they didn't like it when you challenged them. And, um, oh. it really wasn't that collaborative and, yeah. you know, yeah. Gaslighting, gaslighting 100% happened. And I yeah. remember having a moment of, oh my goodness, are you saying that? Cause I remember saying, well, there was this time where you, you cut my, you cut the end of the script and that I had rewritten, even though we had agreed that we would rewrite each other. And he was like, I never did that. And I was like, oh, you, you didn't do that. And he's like, no, I never did that. And I was like, so did it. when so-and-so did this happen what so when you look at the script when the when the producers are looking at the script does the cast does the character do this because that's how I wrote it and he was like well no no I cut that I cut that because and I was like so you agree you did yeah you did cut my lines uh, <laughs> what a nightmare <laughs> so, without like my permission yeah yeah but a discussion happening you know no yeah. No, no. It's like, it would be better. It was better the way I did it. And I was like, mm, yeah, okay. cool, cool, okay. cool, cool, cool. Okay. Yeah. It was cool. 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 Okay. All right. <laughs> and then eventually I was like, I, one day, um, you know, well, what, what ultimately what had happened is it was a long weekend and, uh, he was going to take a first pass on the script and then I was going to write my part. And he sent me his part on the day that we were supposed to deliver, I believe it. And he said, um, when are you going to send me your side, your part of it? And I was like, Friday, it was Tuesday and he was like, I beg your pardon and sent me this long email basically saying, you are not being professional. You are not making this a priority. And if I were the lead on this, I would take the script and I would just write it myself. And then I would send it to a junior writer and then they would make the corrections. And I was like, okay, 
what a nightmare individual to deal with um it it felt like i remember thinking to myself okay this motherfucker has fucked around and he is gonna find out because i immediately (laughs) wrote my agent and i was just like i'd like you to read this email um and i quit and my agent was just like you're right this person's unhinged and you shouldn't have to work with them oh great thank you and uh (laughs) i have to say though throughout the rest of the day i started getting like I remember writing back and saying, so are you saying you want me to have this? You want me to stop what I'm doing? Cause you know, I'm working full-time on Murdoch Mysteries right now. So I'm not finished work until five o'clock, but so you want me to just spend the rest of the evening working on this and, and sending you my part by tomorrow morning. And he wrote back, yes, that would be good. And I will fix any of your mistakes and I will let the producers know why it's late. And I just, <laughs> I just laughed. I'm like, okay, okay. And then I forwarded that email to the producers and said, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I am done. I am done. Wow. And they were like, you know what? We we understand and we don't want you to be unhappy. We love your writing. And yeah. we're hoping that one day we will get a chance to work with you on something that just you write. Yeah. Or co-write. And I was like, okay. Wow. Oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> that sounds- but knowing when to walk away is hard. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Because yeah, the money is and the prestige even better. Right. Um, yeah. but I value, I value my, myself, my brain, my mental health. And I also know that I can write and I will be staffed. If nothing else, I'm not going to go hungry. I will be staffed. Um, like I was still working on Murdoch at the time and it wasn't going to be ending for several months. Mm-hmm. And I thought even, even if my, my contract ends on February the 11th, 2022, and I don't work for six months, I will be fine because ultimately I didn't actually write half a script. I wrote a whole script. So I made $50,000 on that episode on top of my salary. So I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And if I don't work for five Mm. months, that's fine. I need a break. Um, And ultimately uh, I got hired on something else. So (laughs) (laughs) So you're fine. (laughs) We're okay. Yeah. 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 I've been hired by like, okay. So Shaftesbury is, is the people who have hired me for Murdoch. Um, and they've been wonderful and supportive. They love me. So they have me writing a spinoff of something of theirs. So I've been working on that. I'm actually in the middle of finishing that with another co-writer and, uh, we're going to be finishing in the pilot this week, writing the pilot to send to the producers. So, I mean, I, I never really get a break. I'm going to have to start enforcing it. I think what I've yes, been you're going to have to doing is I'm going to have to give myself the break. It's not going to be, yeah. oh, my contract ended and now I have a few weeks off. Because that's something that, you know, if you if you read a lot about working in television, you hear that you get your first gig and then sometimes you don't work for a year or two. And mm-hmm. so I kind of thought what would happen is I would get my first gig and then I was going to do the teaching thing. And then when that teaching thing happened, I would like be able to go back to just writing my plays at a leisurely pace. Mm. And then eventually maybe I would get another job, maybe five or six months later, yeah. but I've literally not had a break since 2020. I've worked back to back contracts and somebody actually said to me, you're just going to have to accept that you aren't going to get the break you thought you were going to get. And you're going Unless to have you to make say, yourself have I'm going to have to make yeah. myself have, I'm going to yeah. be like, yeah. listen, I'm leaving for two weeks. I will not turn on my cell phone. You will see me in two weeks. I'm going to have to do that <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I'm really, really tired right now. And uh, the, you know, the, the situation that I'm in right now is 
my my father has been diagnosed with dementia and oh it uh. was very it was sudden and it wasn't sudden like i could see the signs his wife was in denial about the whole thing and uh and then in uh, i went to i went home home is london ontario and i I, I wanted to see my dad and he seemed, he seemed to know who I was um, and be him, his usual bouncy, happy self. And that was great. But then in February of this year, I got a panicked phone call from his wife saying she's had to call the paramedics because he didn't recognize her and he had gotten aggressive and she had to barricade herself in a bedroom. So the paramedics oh. came and they took him and they put him in the hospital and they put him in restraints. And uh, my father is a very, very sweet tempered person. So this is the sundowning that happens with dementia. Yeah, and um, scary. I had to, that's something that I've been having to deal with on top of my work and on top of all the things that I've been dealing with. And that's with. like so emotional yeah. that like it weighs on you, you know, it weighs, it shows in your work, it shows in your like face and your body. It manifests like in so many different ways that it's just, it's hard to work. It's not something you can just like turn on a smile and no. work past, No, no, you know? No, no, yeah. no. So now I've had to like, I'm now working into my life, uh, going home every month, which is something I never yeah. did before. I, because I want to visit my dad in the hospital. Yeah. And, uh, that's like, it's like, my life has changed so much, but I have to say, you know, Murdoch <laughs> has provided me with a lifestyle and enough money in the, my account that if I want to, I can just hop on the train and just go and stay in a hotel and then go and my, visit my father and then come back a couple of days later. And yeah you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I dedicated the episode yesterday to my father. Oh, oh, nice. So great. Yeah. My father has no idea what I do. He thinks I works. He thinks I work for Loblaws. At least he did for a long time because I was buying their groceries for them. Um, so he knew that Andrea was providing groceries. So right. he thought I work for Loblaws. He has right. completely forgotten that I'm a writer. Right. He does not oh. know that I write on a television show. Um, he has no idea. Um, he doesn't realize that I wrote a show about Violet Desmond. Sometimes he'll talk to me about, did you know she's on the $10 bill? I'll be like, really? That's amazing. He's like, yeah, it's a black woman. I'm like, really? <laughs> so yeah, it all, it's, you know, life happens. It's there's, you need to be understanding of the things that happen that you, you didn't predict. And, right. uh, so yeah, I'll be going home on the 19th of April. And uh, I don't think my father will recognize me at all when I see him the next time, but he knows he has a daughter named Andrea and he thinks she's great. That's, I mean, that's all you can ask for. I think at that, in that moment, yeah. you know, so that's, I mean, that's good. And that's good that you have, you get to spend the time with him yeah. now, you know? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It's just, you know, you realize like me going home every minute. Now I'm going to go home every month. I feel guilty that I never did that. When he That's a whole side of the conversation I of mean, parents getting older that like, I can't uh, even, I can't deal with. Yeah. 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 No. Every kid, you know, every, yeah. Every, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. And I don't know, like if you, how you, how you rank in your family in terms of like, are your parents older, like versus your age? Like, were you able to spend more, you know, like it's, there's lots of things that happen that like, you know that are just it's it's a whole mind it's all that happens oh it is it really is my dad's 78 and you know he's always but he's very it's not funny he's also but he's very healthy mm -hmm. it's the deterioration of the mind it's just yeah. shock like he's quite healthy and strong so that's what's also doesn't make sense you're like why why is this happening if you're so healthy and strong yeah yeah, yeah. so that's kind of terrible and when I when I saw him in the hospital you know he was sitting by the door by his 
room and, and he had his shoes on and he had his coat and, his, and a little suitcase and he was like just ready to leave he's like i'm ready to go home he kept saying i'm going home there's somebody gonna come get me and i was like okay and it was realize no it doesn't realize so that's been like yeah you're right you're right and it like it's always present in the back of your mind it's all it breaks your heart yes. you know yeah. like yeah. every time yeah yeah the minute you start having this is going to sound terrible but the minute you start like kind of laughing and having a good time you suddenly remember that your father is in a home and you're like oh and it just takes yeah. the air right out of it so i'm gonna have to learn to live with that as well as try to continue to do my work like i have these deadlines that i still have to meet mm. being a writer doesn't mean your life stops you know also like something that's like present in in everyone's it's part of life. Yeah. You know, right. not necessarily, not every, you know, not every parent unfortunately gets dementia, but like it's parents get older and you have to deal with them and all of this. And it's present in your brain the whole time. And it, it is unfortunately just a way of our life and it how is. we all have to deal with it. You know? Yeah. One of my favorite lines that I think is one of the best lines in film is from boyhood. I don't know if you mm. saw boyhood, Mm-mm. And Patricia Arquette, I think it's Patricia Rosano. Um, she says about her son, because he's grown up and it happened quickly. She says, I thought I'd have more time. And I'm like, I think that that is the theme to a lot of our lives in many ways. Like, yeah. you know, I thought I yes. had more time. I thought I had more time. And, you know, somebody has said to me, you really need to enjoy the moments that you have right now. Like, you just had your first episode of scripted television. You know, that's great. Your mm-hmm. show is a podcast. You know, this is huge. Like all these really great things are happening. You right. really need to find a way to celebrate those moments when they happen because they're not going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, I didn't realize that when I was in London in December, that was going to be the last time I saw my father in his own apartment. Right. I had no idea. I thought I, I literally thought I have, I have more time. I have more time. Like he'll, he'll be fine probably until maybe next fall. No. So my father will never see the inside of his home again. And that is something that is like mind blowing to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, but you know, um, Neil Gaiman, who was one of my favorite writers in the entire world. Um, you know, he's like, you know, be in the moments that you're in, but you can also find ways of making this into art. Of course. You know, because this will resonate with somebody. This is a specificity that will be universal. You know, mm-hmm. we all have parents, our parents will get old. There will be illnesses that you may not expect. Mm-hmm. You might get sick, you know, mm-hmm. and you still have all this work to do. Like the reason I pivoted to TV was because I had something happen with my, my, my eye. And I, I thought that I was going blind and I didn't have any money in the bank. Like I was still full on in the theater thing and I had no money and I, mm-hmm. and I couldn't support myself for three months while I had to recover for uh, this thing called a vitrectomy where I had to lay face down for three weeks and not be able to move. It was terrible. Um, and, uh, I, <laughs> while I was there, I was like, this might be the sign that I needed to get out of TV, get out of theater and try to try the TV. So right. that was in 2018. And while I was lying down and unable to move and unable to watch TV or read or anything, because I was blind in one eye, I, I came up with a couple of TV ideas and I thought, okay, I'm going to try and write this when I can see again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was like introduced to Carl Lieberman, who is the head literary agent at characters. Mm-hmm. And he, he was like, I hear you're a really good writer. People mm-hmm. really like you. Uh, let's meet and uh, you can pitch me some ideas. And we met for a coffee two weeks later and I pitched a couple of my TV ideas and he was like, those are all great. I think I can sell them. Um, if you can write them, 
I can start sending them out. And within a month I had written a pilot and had sent it to him. And he was like, this is good. It could be better. I wrote another one. He was like, same, maybe you should go to the CFC. And I was like, okay, I don't have the money to go to the CFC, but thank you. Um, and then I had my meeting with Sean Raycraft and, uh, he was like, listen, learn to write procedurals, um, learn to write TV shows about girls who like horses. Um, he was like, I've seen your work. You're really funny. You like yeah. Sean has known me since high school. And so he was like, write something short and punchy. And that's when I wrote, um, bad habits, which is a half hour comedy dramedy, um, about a woman who was a nun who decides to leave the nunnery to look for a child she gave up when she was mm. 18. And that is the pilot that got me 13 meetings. And, wow. and I've worked ever since. Amazing. I think the advice and something you said earlier, where you're like, I would be happy if I was just a staff writer for the rest of my life. is like, mm-hmm. we need to like, give more space for those that those kind of jobs and those kind of conversations because Rainy and I were just talking about this but like it's the 1% of people that get to be like the big famous actors or writers sure. or HBO mm-hmm. showrunners like mm-hmm. that and that's not the regular and it's okay to be a working actor yeah it's okay to be a working writer like that's mm-hmm. what's going to support your life and so like aim for that you know and yeah. it's nice to hear someone give you that advice and then for also you to go it's that's I'd be happy there mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I and I I'm I'm happy to just be a, a, a writer I love being a writer that's yeah. amazing um we have to ask you a question Corinne is being an artist fucking killing you <laughs> <laughs> uh being, you know it's a good question it is a really good question like in some ways it's doing wonderful things for my life it gives mm-hmm. me like I have the financial freedom to do whatever I want but I, I feel like I work even harder now than I did before. My eyes are suffering. My body is suffering. I'm so, t- I'm so tired that me getting up to go to the gym has started to feel like a struggle. I'm starting to understand why, you know, after a certain age, certain writers don't have, you know, fit bodies like they used to. Like, listen, my body was slamming when I was a playwright because nobody was hiring me. <laughs> I had all the time. In Just the like what the perks of being unemployed. <laughs> yeah. I was unemployed. I was at the gym for two hours a day. I ate well. I mean, I was on my bike riding around like a maniac. I didn't have anywhere to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fit as fuck. And now <laughs> hours. I, I'm working yeah. because I'm working so much. I sit in a chair all day. Mm-hmm. I have a paunch. I never used to have a paunch. My eyes are not great. Um, I need to, I need to get my eyes tested so that I can get new glasses. But when am I going to have time to go to the eye doctor and sit there for an hour and a half waiting to get seen to have all the, yeah. I mean, you it's need a- to take the time for self-care, yes. but being an artist, you're always hustling. Mm-hmm. You can never be complacent. You just can't. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. one's just going to show up and give you work. I mean, I have been fortunate. I do keep getting work, but I mean, it's because I have four pilots. I constantly write when Mm -hmm. I'm, when I don't have to write, I am writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, you know, I don't know, maybe it's something to do with being a woman and wanting to always prove that you are worthy and that you, you know, I, I can do the job for you. I can, I can. And then, you know, you think about working yourself to death and you don't want that. You know, I'm always thinking about the contingency plan. What if I have a heart attack? Like my mother had a heart attack last year. And I have a heart condition. So I've, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I'm mm-hmm. like, my work could actually kill me. And I've never worried about that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. So yeah. Like I need to see a cardiologist. Like I should probably go see a cardiologist. <laughs> I mean, it's true, but you know, all women should after a certain age, because you could have an undiagnosed condition that would like go knock you out. Yeah. Like I keeled also, over at a theater for that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. Also like yeah. women have heart attacks and the symptoms are different than men's and most of them go unrecognized. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. I actually, that's something that I just read. And that's why I've been thinking about it a lot is like, you know, which is like, when I say it, you need to know when you can walk away. Yes. When you feel like your blood pressure is just like going to start going through the roof because of something that's happening in the room or because of something that a showrunner said to you, or because someone changed your script in a way that you didn't like, you got to step back and take a breath and be like, this is not brain surgery. This is Yes. This we're making TV. Yeah. yeah. We're making TV. We're not. Fun. Yeah. Not saving yeah. lives. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Andrea, for being with us. That today. was wonderful. So nice. <laughs> um, if people are looking to find you, where do they find you? Um, well, I'm on Twitter and I think it's Andrea M. M. Scott. If you just look for Andrea M. M. Scott, I changed my header to um, somebody took a screenshot where it says written by Andrea Scott for um, Murdoch <laughs> Mysteries, because I happened to be looking at a spider or something when it came on the screen yesterday, <laughs> like I completely missed it. Yeah. So someone sent me a screen grab. Um, I'm on Facebook. Also, I think Andrea M. M. Scott. I'm also on Instagram, Andrea M. M. Scott. Um, I think, no, I think it's call me Scotty. I think it might be call me Scotty. Mm. Um, but yeah, (laughs) I'm easy to, I think I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I've been retweeted a lot lately. So I think that that'll help. You can just type in (laughs) Andrea Scott playwright or Andrea Scott. Call me, call me, not call me, uh, uh, mysteries or the Porter. Those Mm, are the two things that my names are associated with or control damage. If you just type in those names, you will get all of my social medias that way. Great. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, much. Andrea. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard today, go check us out at anywhere at Galpal Prods. Uh, Thank you so much and have a wonderful Tuesday. Bye. Thank you. Bye.